This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. Well, we, we have things that we're, we're working on and, and things that they come up with. I think this is a challenging time, like you said, for all of us. So it is a lot of things that are going on. You know, I've challenged the, the coaches. I've challenged the players, you know, to, you know, to take, you know, this virtual world that we're in and, and let's have some fun with it. You know, let's let's try to do things. I think, you know, Gardner's obviously reached out and spoken to a lot of the players. And I think a lot of our players are on group text and, and, and trying to create that chemistry you know, that I talked about before, which is difficult to do in a virtual setting. Jaguars head coach Doug Marone adjusting to that new school lifestyle, man. And I'll be honest, man, right now. Would you now, be able to do it? Since, would I be able to do it? Yeah, because I know you're not like a big on your phone type hey, person. Hey, choose your next words wisely, okay? Yeah, I'm not always on my phone, but I, hey, I can adapt, okay? <laughs> I'm a chameleon. So, yeah, Kuz, I'm 32 years old. I'll make it work. But my issue is, there's a lot of old head coaches out there, right? The, the, when I say old head, like, and all, all due respect, but there's a lot of old school type of cats out there. Not necessarily head coaches, but I'm talking defensive coordinators, position coaches. I guarantee right now, Kuz, there have been more cell phones smashed. There have been more Microsoft Office surfaces smashed. That's what they're still using for the sponsorships. There's been more computers smashed than you would believe because right now, Football coaches, Coos, spoiler alert, intense. And when things don't go the way, like on a Zoom call or on a Skype call, oh, it's it's absolute brutality to say the least. So as you guys have probably figured out right now, I'm by myself today. Brett Martineau uh, is taking his daughter out to get her, do you call them temps? What do you call them, Coos? Temps, her learner's permit? Learner's permit. Learner's right. permit to drive. Uh, it's going to be a big day for Brett Martineau. I feel sorry for the guy already. But that kind of left me in charge of the show today, right? And you know me, I'm kind of, I'm kind of out there. I think outside the box a little bit. And I put out the bat signal for a couple of guests today to come on the show and just, you know, kind of hang out a little bit. And one of these guys that's about to come on right now, um, has been mentioned countless times on this show. Okay. When you talk about a unique individual, you know, Brent always says, Austin, you know, you're, you're like one of the, the most unique people I've ever met in my entire life. And I take pride in that, right? But then this guest comes on right now, and he says, oh, cool, you think you're unique? You think you're out of the box? Check this out, okay? And to quote Hunter S. Thompson, some people in this world, Coos, uh, they're too weird to live, and they're too rare to die. And Evan Britton is one of those guys. I, and I talk about it all the time. Every locker room, they need those pillars. They, they need those guys that can try to incorporate the toughness factor, that can change the culture around. But you also need the guys to lighten the mood a little bit and to make things fun. Evan Britton brought both of those things to a locker room, and we are honored to be joined by him. It's been a long time coming. Evan Britton, how you doing, man? Oh, my God, Austin. I'm so good. That was the best intro I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> well, I feel honored, man. I figured I'd put a little Hunter S. Thompson in there, you know, try to, you know, try to squeak the wheel a little bit and get you introduced to the show and everything. But by my understanding now, you're living in California. Um, I think the last time I saw you was probably, man, four or five years ago, obviously, with our playing days in Chicago. But how have you been in California? How's the West Coast doing with the pandemic right now? Uh, you know, California is a mess with the pandemic right now. Um, you know, the last, I don't know, I guess my last season was 2014. In 2015, we moved out here to LA with my family, my wife and daughter. It's been great. 
Uh, you know, a lot of ups and downs, as you know, coming out of the NFL. There's a big sort of ego death that occurs and a, a, a reimagining, a rebirth of the self that has to happen in life after football, which I've definitely gone through and sort of coming out of the thicket of um, this last these last couple years. But this pandemic, man, it's crazy. You know, I actually really appreciate the way Florida's handled this thing. Um, you know, here in LA, it's just, it's kind of, it's kind of nuts. It's, uh, but you know, we're, we're good. My wife and daughter are happy and healthy for the most part. And, uh, I got no complaints, man. I'm staying in the gratitude. I'm staying in the moment best I can. That's awesome to hear, man. And, you know, when we talk about football and obviously you spent a couple of years here in Jacksonville, but I always get the question is who's the toughest offensive lineman that you ever went against? You know, and I always say the same answer. I can't say one person. I have to say two. First, I say Eben Britton, and then I say Joe Thomas. Now, obviously, Joe Thomas is a very wow. well-known offensive tackle, right? I mean, he's, he's going to be a, a, a pro bowler. I mean, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's getting that gold jacket. Like, Joe Thomas, one of the best to ever do it. And then I always get kind yeah. of that glance where it's like, why would you say Eben Britton? You know, like, yeah, we know who he is, but, like, why would you say Eben Britton? And, and the answer is simple. Okay, because I had to go against Evan Britton every single day in practice because I had to go against a guy who had a take no prisoners attitude. I had to go against a guy who every single time, whether it was a walkthrough, a scrimmage or, you know, we're just, you know, you want, we're doing live drills that I got everything that, 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 that he had to give, everything that he had to offer. So my question to you is, what was the mentality that you brought to the game of football? Where did that mentality come from of kind of being this take no prisoners kind of badass? And what did you try to bring to the game of football? Austin, you're just warming my heart, dude. What is that? <laughs> It's <laughs> the truth, man. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. We had, I mean, first of all, Austin, we had some epic battles. Of course. Epic battles in practice from Oklahoma drill, one-on-one -on -one pass rush, team drills, et cetera, you name it. We yeah. were in a battle. Uh, you know, there were, uh, we actually came to blows, I think, a few times. Of course, um, of course. <laughs> I totally appreciate that. You were absolutely my nemesis throughout, uh, and in a very loving way, you know, because yeah. we had a great deal of respect for each other off the field and in the locker room, and I definitely appreciated your style as well because, you know, we were cut from the same cloth, dude. You know, we came, we came out there ready for battle, ready for war every single day. It was take no prisoners. It was... Like, you, we would come up to each other before just about every practice or every game, and you'd give me the till the wheels fall off, dude. You know, and it send chills up my spine. And yeah. that's, you know, I had so much respect for you and your style of play. Um, you know, and it was all love at the end of the day, which is so beautiful. And, uh, you know, for me, man, football was therapy. You know, football was my place to... Um, you know, exercise the demons, you know, and all the rage and violence I had in my heart from, you know, a childhood full of physical trauma and abuse. I got to take that out on the football field and I was praised for it, you know, and I was celebrated and I was, you know, championed. And, you know, from the time I stepped on the football field my freshman year of high school, um, you know, football 
I, I was in love with the fact that I could physically dominate and destroy somebody. And I was, you know, celebrated for it. And, you know, I had one speed, you know, the whole time. Mm -hmm. And that was all out, full go. You know, I'm coming to kill people. You know, that was my mentality. And that, you know, that's how I got to the NFL. You know, everything I did was full speed at 100%. And, you know, that's really what it takes at the end of the day. Now, I have to say that once you make, once I made it into the NFL, you know, the guys who really last 10 plus years are the guys who learn how to work in practice and learn how to tone that down when they need to, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I don't think I was ever able to sort of make that, take that next step of working smarter rather than working harder. And so, you know, my body started to really break down. I had a bad back injury, shoulder injury, you know, body really, you know, left me for the most part. And, you know, I, I sort of ran out of gas towards the yeah. end. Um, but, you know, that was how I did it, man. You know, and I loved playing offensive line because of how violent and physical it was. And, um, you know, and, and eventually, not to run too long, but I had, I remember the day I was sitting in, in the, the meeting room watching films in Chicago with the Bears in my last year there. And I was watching the film, and I'm like, what am I doing here now? Yeah. I don't have that killer instinct, like that rage has left me. Like I'm watching the film, and I'm seeing that guy that, that I, that's lined up across from me, and I was thinking to myself, I used to want to kill that guy. And now I don't really I, – I, I don't have that in me anymore, you know? Yeah. And I knew that, you know, my time in the league was sort of coming to an end. I was seeing that light at the end of the tunnel. Um, you, you mentioned it so perfectly, man, so eloquently, where you talk about, and, and I was in the same boat as you were, right? You said it yourself. We were cut from a different cloth. And I, I mean, I remember a lot about, you know, our battles and everything, but the one thing that I truly remember, and you mentioned it a little bit, but I remember I had my Liz Frank injury, all right? And it took like a 15 minute mm. tape job, and they had to insert steel plates in my yeah. shoe uh, just, just so I could play, right? And then all of a sudden, yeah. and then you had your back thing, I think, where you had like a, a pretty serious back infection and they're shooting you up yeah. and everything. So I remember walking by you in the training uh, room, and I'm hobbling, man, and you're back, you know, like you're stiff as heck. You're stiff as all get out. <laughs> and, and that's when you turned to me, and, just, and we just kind of had this epiphany, and it was just like until the wheels fall off. You know, like, I mean, yeah. we, we just got to go because that's all we got. So obviously you spent a lot of time reflecting on your career, Eben, you know, and when you look back on your career now, like, is it one of regret that you did go too hard or is that kind of like a badge of honor for you? Because let's be honest, man. I mean, you lasted a lot, a lot longer than the average NFL player. You know, I think you lasted six years yeah. in the league and yeah. that's something to be proud of. So is it more of, does it come from a badge of honor to look at your football career or is it more of regret? Like, man, I wish I would have maybe toned down a little bit, adjusted a little bit and adapted as well. Um, it's a great question, man. Um, you know, at first, I think, you know, for me, uh, life after football has gone in stages. And, uh, you know, at first, that first year out, I was full of, you know, shame and um, sort of disappointment. Uh, you know, I don't know about you, but I had countless interactions with people in that sort of 
first year out of football where I'd be talking to him and telling him about, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm retiring from football. I played six years in the NFL. And they'd say, why? Why don't you keep playing? You're so young. Yeah. And it was sort of devastating, you know, to hear that, you know, and I would question myself and, you know, man, I always had this vision of playing for 10 years, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, it was really, it came down to, I gave it everything I had, you know, I gave it, I gave it everything I had to the point where, um, in that, you know, in 2015, uh, I got word from the Bears that they weren't going to resign me for another year. Uh, my wife and I made the decision to move our family back to LA to sort of set up shop. Um, and I was kind of, I was coming to terms with being done. Um, and I started getting phone calls that spring from, I think Buffalo called me and the Falcons called me and they wanted to bring me in for workouts to possibly sign me. And I just couldn't even, I couldn't take the trip to the airport. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine getting on the plane to take the trip to go work out because I was so finished, Mm. you know, and I knew that I was done. I'd given it everything I had, you know, and my body had really, uh, you know, paid the price. And, you know, I, I felt, um, you know, the grant, the overall feeling was that I felt like I had done everything I needed to do in my football career, you know? And, uh, and so, you know, it's been really great. And that, you know, that it took a long time, a lot of reflection, a lot of processing to, to really solidify and galvanize that feeling of feeling like I had done everything I had to do in football. And then, you know, connecting with old teammates, man, and connecting with you. And, you know, I've stayed in touch with Eugene and some of these other guys I've played with and talking about, you know, our football career and what we went through together. Mm -hmm. It's really made me super grateful, you know, and the picture has sort of been completed like, yeah, I did everything I had to do. I gave it, literally, I gave it everything, every particle of my being I gave to football, you know, and I feel really good about it, you know, and I can sleep well at night knowing that. Very powerful look behind the curtain with Jaguars, you know, former Jaguars offensive tackle, Evan Britton here, and we appreciate it, man. Um, you know, you speak of Eugene Monroe a little bit, and you guys have been, um, you know, very positive. You've been very huge advocates for medical marijuana in the NFL, you know, now with the new CBA coming out, it's looking like they're yep. starting to transition a little more towards that. I mean, what, what, what is it about medical marijuana that the NFL needs to kind of take note of a little bit? And where does that passion um, come from? Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, you know, throughout my career, cannabis really became like my go-to recovery and pain management tool. Mm-hmm. And that was very intuitive, you know, and you know me, man, I was, I was a team leader. I was a team captain. I was a guy that coaches really looked to to set the example for the team. So for me, during my playing career, any any thought of, you know, a coach finding out maybe I smoked weed, I was, you know, that was devastating. I was like, I can't have that. Sure. You know, so coming out of my career, though, I started educating myself and I got on this uh, speaking circuit just talking about you know, my experience with cannabis and dealing with injuries in my NFL career. 
And the more I learned, it became really clear that, you know, my intuition as an athlete, that this was actually helping me recover and get, get ready for another day of the grind was validated when I started to read the science behind what cannabis does in our body. So the most important thing to understand from the football player aspect or the NFL's perspective of what cannabis provides to football players is when I learned that our federal government has a patent. Uh, the patent number is 6,630,507. <laughs> and it's the patent of cannabinoids as neuroprotectants and antioxidants. Okay. So what that means is the chemical compounds that are found in the cannabis plant, they're called cannabinoids, and they have seen, our federal government has done studies enough to file a patent on the viability that these chemical compounds actually go into our brain, they protect our brain cells from future damage, and they also help our brains heal when they have been concussed or there's been any trauma. Wow. And there's tons of science behind this. And so, as we all know, you know, the concussion storyline really sort of uh, started coming to light, sort of, you know, it's kind of probably like near the end of my career, I guess. Yeah. You know, yep. 13, I think like 2012, 13, 14, this storyline started to emerge. You know, guys are really suffering you know, in life after football. And what it has to do with is this stuff called CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is basically, you know, from all like guys like us, offensive and defensive linemen, years and years of these sub-concussive hits that we've endured builds up this plaque in our brains that leads to early onset dementia and Alzheimer's. I don't know about you, man, but I've met and heard from a lot of young guys, late 30s, early 40s, who have already been diagnosed with one stage or another of dementia or Alzheimer's. And Absolutely. it's in direct correlation to the CTE. Yeah. And so cannabis is really the only substance on the planet that we know of that can actually slow the process of this degenerative neurological disease and even maybe prevent it and help us live healthier lives during our playing days and after. And so I just became very passionate about bringing this to light, you know, and it looks like the NFL is really starting to turn a corner on, you know, their, their um, policies around cannabis, which mm -hmm. is really exciting. And it's going to be great, a great benefit to, to football players down the line. Without a doubt. To talking to former Jaguars offensive tackle, Evan Britton here. Just going to have you for a couple more minutes here, Evan, and then we'll let you go, man. But um, we, once again, we appreciate you coming on the show and everything. Obviously, your, your life now, right? Your, your life in California, your transition from the NFL to those new things. And, I mean, I'm sure you know firsthand as well as I do that that transition can be a hard one, right? Like, I'm thankful that I had yeah. MMA in my back pocket, and now I have this show uh, as kind of an, as, 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 a, as an outlet, you know? Thank you very much, man. But there's a lot of guys out there that don't have that outlet and everything, but thankfully – you were able to find some of those outlets. And I think one of those yeah. those big outlets, obviously, is, is your podcast career right now. And when I say your podcast career, uh, you know, you and Mike Tyson have your own podcast. How did that come about, <laughs> first of all? What is he like, and how, how much fun are you having with that? Um, that's been a really wild ride. 
and actually, you know, it started through my cannabis advocacy. And uh, I got hooked up with Mike because he was, he was in the process of starting a, a massive cannabis company. Um, and I got, and I, I came in, I helped him put together an athletes and cannabis medical summit okay. where we had a bunch of doctors, uh, neuroscientists, researchers. We even had some team owners uh, in attendance for this panel of athletes talking about their positive experience with cannabis mm-hmm. as medicine during and after their uh, athletic careers. Uh, we had UFC guys, NFL guys, NHL guys, um, Mike Tyson, of course, and I hosted it. And uh, so, and that really just grew into this, uh, you know, his partner, him and his partners were like, Ed, you know, we really appreciate your energy and everything you do. And we'd love to, you know, bring you on as a consultant and pay you to kind of help us with events like this and messaging and et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, I had my own podcast called Mindful Warrior Podcast, which turned into the Caveman Poet Society wow. uh, with a, another <laughs> former NFL guy named Nate Jackson, who's a tight end okay. for the Broncos, who I became buddies with out here. He's a little older than us. Um and so I had this podcasting experience, and Mike and his team were like, Ev, we really want to start up Mike's podcast. And I said, okay, well, we need this, this, and this. They said, we'll build you a studio, um, and, you know, we just want you to help us produce it and po- probably even host it. Um, and so I was all in. I thought it was awesome. I thought it would be a lot of fun, you know, sort of helping to facilitate Mike Tyson's podcast. Yeah. Mike is obviously he's he's sort of this demigod, you know, a, a global icon. You know, he's, it's something like meeting Hercules. And I have to say, <laughs> you know, when I first met him, and you know, obviously super controversial. You know, there's no hiding from his past, and you know his his rape charge and the time he spent in prison. And there's a lot of darkness and controversy around him and, and who he is. And when I met him, he was in a very dark place still, you know, he was still very much um, addicted to his vices and, and really struggling and falling apart. And, you know, to be honest, man, I don't think he had much time left. And I sort of came in and, I don't know, because I was able to relate with him in a different way. You know, Mike Tyson walks into a room and everyone just wants to take a picture with him. Of course. And, you know, and sort of put him on this pedestal. And when I met him, I really looked at him just man to man and and as another human being. And I really, you know, I connected with him in that way. And so we built a lot of trust and really got to know each other through over the last couple of years. And, you know, Mike just has... Really, I mean, he's, he's, we've grown to be sort of soul brothers in a way because I'm sort of one person in his life who just allows him to be a human. Sure. Um, and he's really, he's gone through this massive spiritual awakening through, uh, some experiences with various plant medicines. And, um, you know, he's really done a lot of healing over the last couple of years. And the show has just been sort of a timeline of his, gro- <laughs> his growth and evolution as a man, 
as a father, as a husband, and really coming back into the light. Mm-hmm. So it's been really, it's been an amazing journey, man. I feel really just blessed and grateful and just, you know, enjoying the ride, dude. Because at the end of the day, it's like, you know, as you know, you know, we we were at the top of the mountain of our dreams. You yeah. know, we had realized this dream of making it to play pro football, had millions of dollars, had, you know, whatever we we could imagine at the tip of our fingers, we had the house, we had the cars, etc. And, you know, once you achieve that and you experience all of that, you realize that, you know, there's still this hole, you know, yeah. in the middle of you. And that, that, you know, all of that material success doesn't mean anything if you're not satisfied on the inside with who you are as a human being. I love it, man. You know? I love it. Okay. And so, you know, my life after football has really been a process of just coming to terms with myself and uh, loving the life that I live one day at a time. Well, the, the podcast is called Hot Box with Mike Tyson. Definitely check that out. And, and I got to say, too, you do such a great job. I've listened to a couple of them. I love it. But you're also a great navigator, right? Because Mike Tyson is the beautiful chaos that he is. But you, yeah. you, also, but, but you also need a good driver. You need a good navigator to try to get you through those kind of those, those, those seas sometimes. <laughs> and I think you do a, a fantastic job of keeping everything in line. So definitely check that podcast out. Definitely, great, It's called man. Hot Boxing with Mike Tyson. And obviously, you mentioned it. You know, you, you look at him as a human being, Evan. I mean, how do you feel about all the speculation about all the rumors about him wanting to fight again? Well, uh, I haven't seen him in like six weeks, obviously because of this coronavirus situation, but I mean, he was, you know, over the last couple of years, he was really starting to dial in, you know, his nutrition and feeling, you know, getting back into shape. And obviously these videos that have gone viral, the guy is still a complete savage. Like he's more explosive than you could even possibly imagine. I mean, he's vicious when it comes to his, his art of fighting. Yes. You know, and, um, I don't know, man, I don't know what it's going to turn into (laughs) because, you know, we've had a lot of conversations where he's expressed how much he hates that character that he was during his fighting career. Sure. You know, and wants to sort of cut ties and, you know, and put to rest that figure that he became. But at the same time, you know, I see in his eyes and in his heart that he loves the art of fighting, you know, and I think that he would love to experience, you know, the feeling of competition in the ring again. So, I don't know what it's going to look like. It sounds like it might be, uh, you know, some sort of charity thing, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for the sake of his mental health and his his brain, I, I hope that it's, you know, not a full-fledged 12 rounds of fighting. I mean, hey, man, he could probably step in the ring with one of these guys, Tyson Fury or Devontae Wilder. I, sure. I, I don't really have any doubt that he could do that. But, of course. Um, you know, for his sake, I hope that he's just being mindful of, you know, his health and he, he has nothing to prove at this point, you know, without a doubt, there's nothing more for Mike Tyson to prove to the world about, uh, what an absolute animal he is in the boxing ring. 
without a doubt. Evan Britt, man, we appreciate you coming on the show today. Um, real quick before you go, though, I got to show you this one last story. Um, you know, people always ask me, like, what, what one of my favorite moments are of playing football? And I always tie it back to some of my last days playing in Chicago because me and Evan Britton, as he kind of expressed earlier in the interview, we had battles, man. And we threw fists, but we were like brothers. We're after the fight was over, we always said, hey, man, we're all good and everything. We'd hug it out, and we'd, you know, we'd go about our business and everything. And that transpired for a couple years in Jacksonville. Well, then fate would have it that I get transferred, obviously, to Chicago, and Evan's there <laughs> waiting for me again. And, of course, we get into more fights again because it is what it is. We're cut from the same cloth. I remember a reporter from the Chicago Tribune asked me one time, he was like, what was that fight about today with you and Evan? You guys are always fighting. And I gave him some BS line where I was like, yeah, we actually we actually had a, a disagreement about books. He he said Harry Potter was good, and I said uh, that Twilight was better. And then we got in a fight about it. The Chicago Tribune actually rolled with that and thought I was being serious. Obviously, I was just trolling him. But... <laughs> But, but the memory that really exemplifies my football career, um, and even with you two, is the last time I ever went on a football field, I was considered a captain. It was preseason game number four in Cleveland. And Mark Chessman stood up in front of the team and said, Austin, you're a captain. And he said, I've been Britain, you're a captain. So, oh my God, so, for, so for one last time, I got to go on the field with my teammate that started, obviously, with all the fighting in Jacksonville, and it kind of closed the chapter in Chicago. And now here we are again, opening up a new chapter via, you know, creating art with radio and podcasting. So it's great to hear from you, Evan, and obviously it's an open-door policy. Come on the show whenever you want, man. I'd love to, man. That just gave me chills. Thanks, man. <laughs> awesome, man. You have a good one, okay? You too, brother. Right, Thank dude. you. Yep. Evan Britton, man. Coos, they don't make them like that too much, do they? Wow. You know, and, yeah. that, and that's the thing. Like, listen, I, I know we have time restraints, but, like, he was spitting so much good stuff. Like, I was going to cut him off. I'm just like, man, you just do you, and we'll adjust to the commercial breaks because it's not my job. That's Coos's job, and I apologize for that, man. But, um, yeah, really, really a, a great peek behind the NFL about – the, you know, the mentality of a football player. And the cool thing about Evan, man, I mean, there's so many cool things about him, but he just throws it out there. You know, he's not afraid to talk about anything. He knows who he is as a person, and he's always been like that, man. So props to Evan Britton for coming on the show. Cool, let's go to commercial break quick. Um, we'll kind of regroup, regather here. When we come back, I've actually written out a letter to NFL rookies. And um, this is kind of like me saying what you guys should do, um, take my advice and everything. This was not an easy exercise to accomplish, but I learned a lot about myself in doing it. So when we come back here, my letter to NFL rookies and some advice on ESPN 690. Dude, oh, listen, 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 um, listen, everything I love. Oh, my daddy's great. I hit that man with about max 50% of what I had and I just hit him because I wanted him to let loose of the ball if I had knew they was going to find me 75000 I would have tried to kill him and people and start- I ain't going to lie to you I ain't going to lie to you but that happened right the gist thing Mike Tonner ever did so that was uh, former Steelers beast we'll just call him I think he's an outside linebacker Maybe middle linebacker, but just a beast in general, James Harrison, talking about a fine that he acquired. And what you didn't hear towards the end of that interview was supposedly, according to him, Mike Tomlin slid him an envelope. Um, take that for how you want it, right? Because you hear that, and then all of a sudden you think of Sean Payton, you think of Bounty Gate, where players are getting paid to make those big hits to take guys out of the game. 
But then if you dive deeper into it, I think it was more of Tomlin saying, well, screw the NFL and how they find people. I got your back on this one, James, and I'll take care of your fine. Right? So you can kind of go back and forth with it and come to your own conclusion. But the fact that he let it slip out like that, probably not a good look for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And, hey, far be it from me to tell James Harrison what to do. Okay, I've seen this guy on Twitter videos push a sled that weighs over like 1,200 pounds. Hey, man, if you were getting paid for every single hit that you got, my my hands are clean on this one. You're not going to hear a peep from me because I really don't fear a man who's like, I'll fight anybody, dude. But James Harrison, like, he's that old man strength, number one. But number two, the guy's not human for what he's able to do in terms of lifting and athleticism. So I don't want to say much of this one, I'll be honest with you, but I honestly think wholeheartedly, you know, and having been in those NFL locker rooms, I think he was trying to refer to the fact that Tomlin said, you know what, man, I'm going to pay that fine because it was BS, okay? I don't think there was actually a hit out. I don't think there was a bounty out for anybody. I just think it was more of Tomlin being, you know, recently a good guy and just saying, you know what, I got you on this one. Because those NFL fines are no joke, man. I'm reminded uh, of a linebacker my rookie year. want to say his name was Mike Lockley, undrafted free agent. Big dude as well. Spoiler alert. And he got fined, I think, three times in three weeks, and he actually got fined more than he was making. So essentially the kid was playing in the NFL, living out his dream, and he was paying for it. He was literally paying money to play in the NFL because he got fined every single time. Now, did, I think at the time it would have been Weaver, did Gene Smith take care of him underneath the table? I have no idea. I hope so, man, because I, I felt bad for Lockley. We come in after every single game, and there's a, a manila envelope in his locker waiting for that fine. It's like, man, let that kid make his money. He's an undrafted free agent. He's not a first-rounder. I, I don't want my guys paying to play in the NFL. That's not fair. So we'll see if this transpires. Obviously, Sean Payton, uh, Brent's, you know, nemesis, if you will, um, probably on the top of the hit list for Brent Martino, even though he's got the Saints winning the Super Bowl this year so far. I'm sure Sean Payton's going to be upset with this. He's already gone on Twitter, gone on a tirade. I don't think much comes of this, Kuz. I'll be honest with you, man. I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think right now that we're we're hurting for football storylines. All right, we we were already kind of desensitized to the whole Tom Brady news going to Tampa. We need something new, and this is what we have to go off of right now. But honestly, I don't think it's a, it's a big deal. And no, there was never any bounty gates in Jacksonville uh, when I was playing. All right, even if there was, I wouldn't tell you, but there wasn't. But I will say this though, Kuz, we used to have my second year. We had a, a bet. Whoever got the first sack of the season um, got a pot. So literally how it went was every – I don't think this is illegal. I'm probably breaking some some laws right now, some locker room stuff that I shouldn't be talking about, but it's fine. So every player in the defensive line locker room put some money in into the pot, right? I think it was like a couple hundred bucks a person, right? So you, you do the math. That's probably, oh, I think, 11 or 12 players in the defensive line room. Pretty good set of money, you know, 1200 bucks. I'm not going to sneeze at that, right? I like that. So I ended up getting the first sack of the season. Problem is we got blown out. 
Okay, so I'll never forget this. So I'm in back. I'm back in the meeting room the next day, you know, because we're watching the film of the other game. Once again, we got blown out. wasn't a really cool atmosphere. But the only thing I had going for me was the fact that, well, I'm getting 1,200 bucks today, so at least I got something to to write home about. And I remember sitting in the meeting room, and you know, Joe's going through his whole thing, probably punching chalkboards, getting upset because we didn't play that well. And then I'm like, uh, hey, Joe, what about uh, what about that pot? And he's like, oh, yeah, whatever. You, all you care about is money. I'm like, yeah, I'm joking around. But, yeah, okay. He's like, all right, yeah, go take your pot. So I walk up in front of the room. And keep in mind, like, this is my second year, so I was kind of towards the back. So I'm walking up towards the room, and Aaron Campman, you know, the guy I always speak so highly of, the, the constant professional, I mean, just the man, okay, stops me, puts his arm on and says, well, we lost the game, Austin. Like, we have to wait until actually we win a game to get the pot, right? And I, and I look back at him, and I go, and keep in mind, I have nothing but respect for this gentleman. I look back at him and go, nope, that wasn't part of the deal, and just keep going forward, disobeying whatever the captain had to say. And I'm like, nope, this is my money. Take the money like a grimy little thief, put it in my pocket, and go about my day, man. You aren't going to tell me anything don't don't all of a sudden bring new rules to the table say we had to win the football game to you know to collect on the sack pot no 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 there was no stipulation mr camman and like a little thief that i was man didn't listen to anybody just went up there grabbed it and never heard a peep from anybody i was gonna say did that did anything happen because you you did it but i guess no no i mean i think most of the room kind of agreed with me you know i think this was <laughs> kind of aaron camman going like well that's bs like i want to get a shot at it too and we lost so th- that might have been aaron camman just trying to say no man let's wait a little bit but you know what aaron camman's made a lot of money in his life aaron camman has signed you know a big contract i was a fifth round draft pick out of murray state university i'm taking that twelve hundred dollars i'm not looking back would it have been worse for you if you did that while you were a rookie well see now that's another story if, if I was a rookie and I didn't really, quote-unquote, earn my stripes yet, um, yeah, that, that, that probably would have been an issue. Honestly, I probably wouldn't have got that money. There, there, there would have been something like, no, you're not getting the money. Go go shave your eyebrows again because that's what rookies do, right? So thank God I wasn't a rookie. Thank God it happened my second year, and we're all good. Speaking of rookies, Kuz, you know, and this is something that we've kind of teased a couple, the last couple of days now. We've seen Garner Minshew. I think, was it DJ Chark did this as well where they, they kind of gave some advice a little bit to – up-and-coming NFL rookies. Well, I actually made a list of uh, of about ten things um, that rookies can do to make sure that their NFL experience um, is the best that it can be. And the way I, re- I really approach this is essentially what I'm doing here when I'm reading these things off is I'm writing a letter to myself. I'm writing a letter to the Austin Lane back in 2010 who just got drafted to the Jacksonville Jaguars who's probably out right now at a beer league softball event slamming down a keg because he just got drafted um, getting interviewed by Channel 9 News at a beer league softball event super embarrassing didn't care once again had a keg didn't care and this is the guy that I'm talking to you know and this is the cool thing with this show that we've always done is that it's been a good outlet for me to try to reflect a little bit on my career. And this right here kind of went in depth a little more in this exercise. Wasn't something that I was super pumped to do right away, but when I completed this exercise, um, I came out the other end uh, feeling better actually than I did going into it. So it was kind of therapeutic for me as well. But here we go. Here's my my list to NFL rookies. Um, just talking to you, man, and maybe you guys can take some of this advice um, if you're if you're down listening to it. Um, just trying to help you guys out. We got oh, we got some music too. 
This is always a touchy subject for us because you never like the ones I no, pick. No, sure don't, man. But as long as we don't get played by YouTube, we're all good. Yeah, not bad, man. We, we can roll with this a little bit. So, all right. So, dear NFL rookies, number one, as soon as you get into town, follow a very high-skilled veteran at your position. Find that veteran and never leave him alone. Find out his training regimen. Find out his diet. Find out how he approaches the game and copy him. Don't question it. Just do it. Okay? Because you have to have someone that shows you the way. I had Aaron Campman. Now, I didn't copy Aaron Campman. I didn't pick Aaron Campman's brain. I just kind of followed what he did sometimes. But when I would ask him, hey, Aaron, tomorrow, what time are you getting to the stadium at? Oh, well, I'll be there at 6 a.m. sitting in the cold tub. You want to come? No, sir. No, I'm going to actually sit in my hotel room and sleep because I'm not getting up at 6 a.m. Okay? But, like, that's what Aaron Campman did. Aaron Campman was ahead of his time and how he took care of his body, how he approached the game. Obviously, he didn't have the longevity, unfortunately, because injuries do happen. But in terms of mentality, there was nobody better. So my first piece of advice to NFL rookies is find that vet in that locker room at your, posi- at your position and act like a shadow. Never leave their side. Number two, talking to NFL rookies, balance. Be true to yourself, but also be respectful. I had a big problem with this when I first got in the league. And this is something that combine prep, this is something that even college coaches can't really prepare you for. Okay, when I say find the balance, be true to yourself, be respectful. When I got to Jacksonville, I had the, you know, because I had that demeanor like what I have right now, right? I'm, I'm kind of laid back. I always say, dude, I'm like, hey, what's up, bro? All that stuff, right? I'll never forget one of the very first days in that facility. Uh, Joe Cohen called me in the meeting, and I go, yo. I said, I said, yo. Mel Tucker turns around and says, no, that's not what we do here. It's yes, sir, no, sir, and that's it, okay? Now, was some of that because I was a rookie? Probably, right? But since Mel Tucker yelled at me like that, well, then I changed my whole philosophy. I changed my whole personality. Then I was like a goody-goody, man. I was like, yes, sir, no, sir. Every single person I met, yes, sir, no, sir. And, and that even kind of bled to my daily life a little bit. Not saying it was a bad thing, but it wasn't myself. So you have to stay true to yourself, but also be respectful. So find the balance. Number three, RYFP can mean read your read your plate. Wait, RYFP. Reach your full potential, okay? That's what football players always say. I'm going to say, RYFP, read your effing playbook, okay? That's what a coach once said to me. Look ahead in your playbook, memorize it. The fastest thing that will get you thrown out of a football camp if you're an expendable player is not knowing the plays. Screwing up a play is one thing that will get you canned. Okay, it's the most detrimental thing that you can do in practice. More than a dropped cat, you know, a drop ball. More than a more than a, a penalty. More than a loaf. Not knowing the playbook and messing up mentally will get you canned. Coaches hate it, and they will make sure that your ass is gone tomorrow. So look ahead in your playbook, memorize it, and do your job. If you do that, you got a chance of making a team. Number four. Everyone that you come in contact with, whether it's the coaches, the office staff, equipment guys, or cooks, make sure you know their name. If you don't know their name, write that name down, introduce yourself, and then memorize it. Um, This is more of just an environment, a culture builder right here. You hear Doug Marone talk about all the time where he wants to get guys that communicate well. 
Well, communication doesn't just stem from coaches to players. It stems from the office staff. It stems from the equipment guys. And it even stems from the cooks. And what players don't realize is, and I learned this a little late in the game, is coaches and GMs and owners, they ask, they ask equipment guys, they ask cooks, hey, is this player being, you know, is this player doing the, the Jaguar way? Is, is this player acting like a Jaguar right now? They'll go around the whole building and ask. Every single team does that. So make sure you're respectful, number one, but also make sure you know everybody's name. Trust me. Number five, Pedialyte over Gatorade, okay? I don't really need to go into it. No offense to Gatorade, unless you're sponsoring me, then Gatorade's awesome. But if you're not, Pedialyte over Gatorade. Number six, never take flexibility or mobility for granted. The best players I've ever come across, they weren't the strongest in the weight room. Yes, they worked out, but the best players, especially on the defensive side of the ball, linebackers, defensive ends, they did yoga. They, they worked on their mobility, flexibility. You can't go wrong with that. Number seven, um, show love to the kids, okay? Uh, a lot of you guys out there don't realize just how much kids look up to you. Um, a lot of the reasons why the guys are in the NFL in the first place is because there's a player out there they looked up to that inspired them to play in the NFL. That, um, you know, that kind of coaxed them into saying, you know what, I want to be like him when I grow up. So kids always look up to you. Don't break that chain, man. Be respectful to kids. If, if they ask you for a glove, give them a glove. Don't give them a helmet, obviously, but just show your support and show your time because I promise you it's going to go a long way in that kid's life. The last game I ever played, and like I've talked about with Evan Britton, Cleveland, last time I was ever on the field, that pregame, I knew my time was coming to an end. I actually took a kid out of the stands who had a Browns jersey, so I didn't really care. But I took a kid out of the stands, played catch with them, and hopefully that made that kid's day. So I always do that. Coos, I think we're coming up to a break here real soon. we got three more things to tackle. So we'll kind of do that towards the end of the show. Um, got a couple more pieces of advice out there for the NFL rookies. But when we come back, we're going to be joined by another special guest to come hang out with us today, boys and girls. None other than the best in the world himself, Mr. CM Punk, will be joining us live here at 5 o'clock. You don't want to miss that interview on ESPN 690 Jacks. We'll be right back. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. 